morning, good morning. If you'd turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle. We'd love to give you one as a gift. We love the Word of God, amen? It is wonderful for teaching us and training us, ministering to our lives, correcting us. And we're going to dive in this morning. I returned from my first mission trip to Mexico in 1997, and my eyes had been opened to what God was doing. I had seen his power. I had experienced his presence. God was just, it was a, it was a personal revival for me. I've, I've shared this story before, but I had given my life to Christ as a seven-year-old, but for the first time, I felt like I was experiencing the kingdom. And so I started diving into the church that I had gone down to Mexico with, and I, I was just kind of desperate to, to do anything, to just be around these people where God was moving. And so I was up to serving. They were painting some rooms, so I was up serving. And the pastor of the ministry, Jimmy Seibert, was there, and he ends up being in the same room working next to me and asked me if I wanted to go to lunch with him. Now, this was incredibly exciting. I had no idea this would happen. And we had a group of hundreds and hundreds of college students. So when he asked me to to go to lunch, my mind just starts reeling. Okay, this is my chance with this Christian superstar. What should I ask him? So I just, I I was thinking, okay, what's the very best question to ask him? And I, I remember asking that day as we were having our Taco Bell bean burritos, I said, Jimmy, I want to give my life completely to Jesus. I just want to sell out. What's the one piece of advice you'd give a 21-year-old if, if I wanted to do that? And he quickly said, Psalm 103, verse 7. Psalm 103, verse 7. That Moses knew the ways of God. The children of Israel knew his deeds. Moses knew the ways of God, but the children of Israel knew his deeds or his acts. I thought, that's a really interesting verse. He said, Robert, there are many people that see God move from afar. or They hear about the wonders that God has done. But there are very few people that actually become God's friend. He said, Moses actually went and spent time one-on-one with God. Here's the hallmark verse about Moses as we dive into this series this next eight weeks, Exodus thirty three eleven. it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And Jimmy said, that's what I want to be, Robert. I want to be a friend of God. I don't want to just see him from a distance. I don't want to just hear about the marvelous things that he's done. But I want to know his ways. You know the acts of many people, but you know the ways of those that are your friends. And that's what this series is all about for the next eight weeks, is actually developing a friendship with God. And I want to tell you that it's actually possible. I remember hearing that verse and thinking, man, could that really be? That was my biggest question in college. When I, when I started getting excited about the kingdom of God, my question is, God, can I really know you? Can I really know the living God? Not, not just can I be a Christian. Not just can I go to church and do the right thing. Have you ever asked that question? 
God, can I really know you? Is it possible for a finite being to know an infinite God and actually have a relationship with him? And that's the journey we want to go on as we study the life of Moses. And I took that challenge from Jimmy. He said, practically, this is what it looks like, Robert. You'll never have more time than you have right now as a single college student. And so he said, I challenge you to spend time with God every day, chunks of time. And, and so I did that. I started waking up in the morning. It was incredibly hard for me. I was one of those kind of guys that didn't like to get up before 11. But I started saying, God, if you're really real and you want to know me, then I want to know you and you're worth it. So I got accountability. I got an alarm clock. In fact, I put my alarm clock on the other side of the room. It's a word of the Lord for some of you guys this morning. I moved it to the other side. So when it went off, I had to get out of bed and and I just started spending daily time reading this word and really saying, God, if this is your word to me, then I think it's worth diving into. And then I spent time just daily learning how to pray. And I want to tell you that God showed himself to me so much more real than I ever imagined. I want to tell you that you can know God. And that he has blown away the ways he's revealed himself to me. And I want to speak hope into you today that are sitting there. That this isn't just some religion. That God's not going to just be distant from you. That the Bible promises that when you seek him, you will find him. When you seek him with your whole heart. And so we're going to be studying the life of Moses. And I want you to begin with me in Exodus chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. And it's going to start by painting the picture of the time that Moses was born into. Because I want to tell you that Moses was a chosen child. And sometimes when we hear those things, it's kind of discouraging because we think, yeah, there was this amazing call on Moses, but I'm just a nobody. Or I'm just the average Joe. I want to tell you that you are a chosen child. If you're sitting in this room today, it's because God was drawing you. And I want to tell you that the scripture says about itself that all scripture is profitable. For teaching us. And so when you read the story of one of the forefathers of the faith, it's for you. You can take it and say, God, you have lessons for me to learn because this is your desire for me as well. Moses is a prototype of what he wants every one of his children to be like, to have that kind of friendship. And so here we go, starting in verse 6. It says this, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. So the Israelites had gone in into Egypt in the midst of a famine. Joseph was the patriarch. He brought his whole family, 70 members. But now they're multiplying like crazy in the country of Egypt. They're refugees. We have a a good number of refugee families in our church that have come from all different countries, mostly different countries in Africa. We love having them with us. We learn so much from them. That's what Moses was. Moses was was in a refugee family in the country of Egypt. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Verse 9, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. I want to tell you, you're going to start seeing in the life of Moses... A a, a real vast difference between the people of God and the people of this world. 
I want to tell you that the world is motivated by a spirit of fear. Let me just say that again. The world is motivated by a spirit of fear. And so this Pharaoh, although he's the most powerful man in the world, he was fearful of his little peasant people in his kingdom. Isn't that interesting? I want to tell you, if you don't learn to walk in the kingdom, you can be fearful of anything. I'm serious. We can, we can, isn't it funny the things you can get fearful of? Right? All of a sudden, you're like, the swine flu, it's coming for me. (laughs) I mean, though, I can get scared of the, oh my gosh, I heard there's a spider now in California that if it stings you, your face is going to fall off. You know, and we... We get scared of that. Every, some of you are starting to Google that right now. There's a, there's a face fall off spider right now. That, that was an exaggeration. But I want to tell you, we can get fearful of anything. Let's just keep reading here. So what does he do? He acts on his fear. I want to tell you, men and women, that when you start acting on your fear, that you know you're not responding to God's leadership. Hello? Someone's going to get set free this morning. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses and store cities for Pharaoh. Here, here's what happens, men and women, is that the world is motivated by fear. And fear is from the enemy. And the enemy, you're already seeing this. You know from John chapter 10, if you've ever read the book of John, that the thief comes only, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you're seeing that here. Pharaoh is motivated by fear, so he starts saying, we're going to steal. We're going to oppress them. We're going to come against them. I, I, I talk to many believers right now that are so discouraged by what's going on in our society today. And, and there, it, there are many dark things going on, even from, from leaders, from government officials, from pop culture, that are the antithesis of biblical teaching. And so it, it, it can even come through our government, through our media, through our culture. So many things that are actually going in the exact opposite of the teaching of Scripture. But I want to tell you that it's in these kind of times that God moves. It's in these kind of times that God's light shines brightest on His people. I, I, I was talking to, a, to someone the other day and I said, you know... A lot of people get discouraged in these times. I get pretty excited because we as Christians, we can't just be like the world anymore. You've either got to get super hot or you've got to get really cold. But you can't be lukewarm. You see, the darker it gets, the brighter Christians shine. And that's what happened here. Watch, God's hand is always on his followers. So it says, so they put slave masters over them in verse 11. But look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Some of you are tremendously fearful about the new, new things that are getting less and less tolerant of Christians. You can say anything except that you believe in one God. You can say anything except that there's absolute truth. You can say anything except that that's sin. And so Christians are getting more and more oppressed. But here's what the scripture says. As they were more and more oppressed, they multiplied more and more and spread. Because the darker it gets, the more people long to see the light. The more gloomy it gets, the more people want hope. And so they go to the one who gives hope and they go to his followers. This is a good word this morning. 
Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. This is awful. This is absolutely awful. My friend Jim Yost, who came and spoke to us at World Mandate, a missionary who hasn't just seen one move of God, one people movement coming to Christ. You know, he went into Indonesia, into a very dark tribe where they were killing each other and literally killing babies and all these things. He said, anytime there's about to be a move of God, the enemy comes with an invasion of violence. So that's what we know from the book of Exodus, right? God's about to move his people in a, in a majestic way, pour out signs and wonders like never before. So the enemy comes with a confrontation of violence and says, I'm concerned about all these Israelites who are going to display my glory, so I am going to kill them before it starts. I believe that God wants to do something great in our nation. I believe just as we've had the first great awakening where millions came to Christ. And then we had the second great awakening. And then we talk often about what happened down here in Southern California, the Jesus movement. And even before that, we had Azusa Street that started the greatest people movement on earth. People coming into Christ. Hundreds of million, 200 million in China. We have a precedent of God moving in this country. But I believe this last hundred years and specifically the last 50 to 60 with abortion has been the enemy's plan to stop it before people are even born. If you can't get out of the womb, you can't live out God's destiny on your life. And so the exact same thing that was happening then is happening now in our country. Or you think about it, if you're you're going, okay, Robert, I'm not sure if that makes sense. Think about China. I just said China. I don't know if you know this, there are more born-again believers in China now than the United States. It is unprecedented. In the last hundred years, they're estimating 200 million people have come to Christ. We're living in the greatest time ever. But do you know that since 69, China has had a one-child policy? And it's led to incredible infanticide, unbelievable selective abortion. As just millions have been aborted and even many babies have been killed. Why? Because the enemy knew that God was about to break forth in China in an unprecedented way. And so he comes with a wave of violence. I believe that's why we're having school shootings at an epic proportion right now. Because the enemy is scared about what God is about to pour out on our young people. And so how do we respond? We respond not in fear, not in we're going to shrink back and just try to cloister away as Christians and be scared. No, we, we rise up by going low in prayer and saying, Holy Spirit, move. And let me shine brightly. And let me be a vessel. Let me be a chosen child like Moses. So let's keep jumping into his story. <coughs> this is what it says in verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God. The midwives, however, feared God. They did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. 
They let the boys live. Today, my friends, I want you to ask yourself the question, who do I fear? Do I fear man or do I fear God? Do I, def- do I fear my culture or do I fear God? Do I fear what people will say or do I fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Here's what the fear of God is. It's not, it's not being scared that he's going to beat you down. Fearing God is caring more about what he thinks than what people think. Fearing God is living for his approval, not the approval of others. Fearing God is caring that you have the affirmation that you're living according to his way, not the affirmation from people. Fearing God is knowing that we'll be rewarded for how we live our life. And also that we'll be disciplined as his children. Because discipline is out of love so that we can live out to our fullest destiny. That's what it means to fear God. The midwives feared God and so they didn't do what the king said. They put their lives at risk. I want to tell you, men and women, that oftentimes we will actually have to put our jobs at risk to fear God instead of fear man. You're going to have to put your reputation at risk. You're going to have to put your time at risk to fear God. So what happens? This is very important. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Verse 19, the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Let it be over all people's church. So God was kind. My wife, this is just a funny story. My wife is so much tougher than me when it came to giving birth. She'd be over there. She'd be over there giving birth, and she'd, look, she'd be like, Robert, are you okay? I'm like, mm, yes. I'd be, I, I, she'd be giving birth, uh, giving birth to our boys. I'd be in the restroom like, mm. I couldn't, man I, man, I couldn't even be in the room, guys. You women, you're the man. That's right, work. So the Hebrew, I, the, the Hebrew women were vigorous. Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Two things happen when you decide to obey. obey. One, all the people around you are blessed. The, The Hebrew women's obedience, them fearing God, released a blessing on all the people. I want to tell you, when you decide to obey, you release a blessing on all of us. God moves in this city. It's not just about your little life. You don't realize how your life releases the blessing of God on all the believers in San Diego. That's a powerful thought. It's not just about you. But it doesn't just stop there. Then it says, because of what they did in serving others. No, midwives, it's all about serving others. Right? It's, it's so messy to have a kid. So people that are willing to be in that mess day in and day out with other people, you blow me away. And so they're willing to, to, to minister by having children and then to risk their lives by not killing them like Pharaoh said. So what does it say? It says God gave them families of their own. I want to tell you when you obey, it blesses others. And God sees what you've done and says, I'm going to bless you. 
Listen, Galatians 6 says this, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. So many of us hear that and we live in fear when really it should be the converse. You should know that every little thing you do from God, every little thing you do to serve God, he, he loves to just come and outbless us. You can't outgive God. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water in my name won't lose its reward. Isn't that powerful? So here we go. Chapter 2. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. Now let's go back to 22. The Pharaoh gave this order to all his people because the, the, the midwives weren't doing it. So he just steps up the violence. Verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that's born, you must throw them into the Nile. But let every girl live. Just unprecedented darkness and violence coming over the land. Chapter 2. Now a man at the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, that word fine is the word T-O-W-B in Hebrew. Tob or taub. And what that means is good Excellent, precious, or my translation would be a chosen child. When she saw that he was a chosen child, she did something. She could no longer hide him. This is verse 3. She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. I want to tell you that God will give you a way out. This was such a strange thought. How am I going to hide a child? I'm going to get a basket and put tar and pitch. I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to her. I want to tell you, when you decide to stand for God, he's going to give you creative ways to partner with him. And so she gets this basket, and she places the child in it, and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, sister was named Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This was one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. That's amazing. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. And I'm sure she's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. You're giving me my baby back and I will pay you. Now she's getting paid to to mother. I, I know some of you would love that. And so the women took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. I see three relationships here that are noteworthy for understanding how we live out our destiny. You need these three relationships in your life. If you're taking notes, get ready for these three relationships. Also, you will be each one of these relationships in someone's life along the way. This is how the kingdom works. The first one was Moses' mother. We need a spiritual parent in our life. We need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers People who will lay down their life. Moses' mother actually laid down her life for Moses. For me, I was very fortunate. My mother was like this. From the earliest age, she prayed for me. Uh, Some of you heard her speak a few weeks back when she shared a portion of her testimony. 
Uh, she's not perfect by any means, but certainly a woman who who model what it means to parent well by laying down their life. I want to tell you mothers in here. I know especially you mothers with young children, many times it gets very frustrating. You get very tired. You feel wiped out. You feel like it's a very thankless job. I want to tell you that your investment will raise up the next Moseses. It's worth it. Those little things of laying down your life. I want to tell you the next spiritual parent to me was a man named Mark Masterson. He's a missionary now in Africa, but at the time he had come to serve college students on our local college campus, and he laid down his life for me. I was a squirrely little college student, always doing my own thing. Mark would show up and show me how to have FaceTime, how to spend time with Jesus, taught me how to study the Bible, would take me out and show me how to share Jesus with people. He kept me accountable. He served me in practical ways, came and helped me work on my car when it wasn't working. I mean, this man just laid down his life for me and became a spiritual father. Have you had a spiritual father or mother in your life? I want to ask you, if you haven't, to pray, God, who is someone older in the faith they could pour into me. Now, they're not going to be able to take you and spoon feed you. And, but there's someone you can go to and seek counsel from. And there's someone that you can trust and ask them to pray for you. We need that in our life. And I want to ask you, who are you a spiritual parent to? Because you're not just a chosen child. You're going to raise up children of God. Who are you a spiritual parent to? You say, well, Robert, I've only been a believer for three months. Well, someone else has only been a believer for two And you know one month more of the Lord than they do. And you invest that in them. Second role I see in this text is the sister. She was an intercessor. Miriam was an intercessor. That means she went between and she helped Moses connect with his destiny. She was concerned about him. And so she watched him. An intercessor watches with concern in their heart and takes those petitions to God and prays. For me, I remember this woman as a child, Mrs. England. She'd always come up to me at church and say, Robert, I'm praying for you. Even through my rebellious years, that was very convicting. She always prayed for me. I couldn't understand why did God put on her heart to pray for me. She's passed away years ago. But I'll never forget the way Miss England logged hours in prayer for me and my sisters. And I believe that a lot of what we're seeing today is because of Miss England. I believe she's probably looking down from heaven going, yes, you were such a punk. I can't believe this. <laughs> In college, I remember when I finally started just selling out for Jesus, I had these girls come up to me and they said, we've been praying for you for the last three years since you stepped on this campus for God to just get a hold of your heart. I'm like, really? <laughs> Lexia, Anne, and Melissa. They just prayed for me. And when I just started totally going for God, they were celebrating. They were sisters who God just put me on their heart and they contended for me. I want to encourage you. I I guarantee you no one in this room came to know Jesus without someone praying them into the kingdom. Every time I hear of someone meeting Jesus, there was someone else praying for them. Who is the person that was praying for you? Last week, we had tons of people coming to Christ in our service. It was awesome. But behind every single person was someone that invited them. Someone that has been praying for them. 
And I want to tell you, that's such a joy to pray people into the kingdom, to pray people into their destiny. Who are you praying for? Who has God called you to be an intercessor for? That's a great question to write down. Who has God called you to be an intercessor for? Someone prayed you in. Who are you praying for? Last relationship, a divine appointment. Little baby Moses floating in the water had a divine appointment with Pharaoh's daughter. She has, he has this divine appointment where Pharaoh's daughters just happens to be down at the Nile at the exact time. I want to tell you, God is always orchestrating relationships. I mean, at the exact time of day, Miriam puts Moses in the water, pushes it out, and boom, there she is. Oh, a baby. Pulls him out in a basket. <clears throat> Takes him as her son. We need to pray for divine appointments, people of God. God is wanting to orchestrate our lives with divine appointments. Keep your eyes open. I I think about when we started this church. I, I love it. We knew no one when we came to San Diego. No one. And so we end up in this house and start meeting all the girls that live next door. And it was just a total party house, big keg parties. I'm like covering my kids' eyes as guys are walking down the street in their underwear with two beers in their hand. Like, oh my gosh, help us, Lord. (laughs) We meet the girl that was throwing all the parties. Her name was Shayla. Shayla didn't know Christ yet. But she just was so kind to us. And we start a friendship. We have Shayla over for dinner. She just, she was fascinated by what we did. By start, you start a church. Well, where's your church? Uh, you, maybe, hopefully. <clears throat> okay. Shayla's like, well, I've got to introduce you to my boyfriend. He's getting really religious. And so she brings her boyfriend over. I'm down on the floor changing my kid's diaper. And this huge guy comes in the door. And she's like, this is Cameron Johnson. He's, he's, uh, he's my boyfriend. He's just getting real religious. I said, well, Cam, let's go talk about that. Cam had just prayed and given, life, given his life to Christ. Didn't know anything about walking with God. So I said, hey, I want to start discipling you. He said, I accept. I said, okay, let's do this. <laughs> Cam starts bringing his friends in from the Aztec baseball team. Within six weeks, I'm the chaplain of the Aztec baseball team. (laughs) Shayla was a divine appointment. Then Shayla said, I want you to meet my other good friend. She's on on the soccer team with me. I meet her. Her name's Allie. I meet her live-in boyfriend, Russell. One day, Russell stops me on camera. Russ, now Cam was big. Russell was a giant. Russell's a professional football player now for the Jaguars. I meet Russell, I'm walking on campus, he goes, Robert, I go, yes, because I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh no, they're, they're upset, I'm, I'm cramping the style on their party lifestyle. They're, I'm gonna, he goes, hey, can we come over and talk to you? And right there on my couch, they just say, we've, we've seen God's hand, just, we, there's something different about you guys, we want to know what it is. We tell him about Jesus, his girlfriend, Allie, breaks down, gives, his life to, gives her life to Christ, Russell says, you know, I, I prayed a prayer a few years ago, but I haven't walked with God. I want to do it. Steph and I start discipling them. Within a month, the house has changed from keg parties to a life group. It gets better. Russell, Russell was a captain of the state football team. So Russell stands up 
on senior day at the football team and preaches the gospel to his whole football team. It came through a little divine appointment with a girl named Shayla. Got to do Shayla's wedding. It was awesome last year. I want to tell you that God has these kind of divine appointments for you to open up the doors for you to live out your destiny. He wants to do, we outgrew meeting in our little house that we were meeting in. And so I called a buddy and I said, hey, where should we meet? They suggested a school. They said, it's really hard to get into schools. It's all dependent on principals. He said, you know, one of my friends called a principal, hadn't heard from her for months. They're just kind of frozen trying to figure it out. So I just said, okay, we're going to ask for a divine appointment, Jonathan. So Jonathan, one of our associate pastors and I ended up just saying, okay, when we feel led, we're going to show up on Horace Mann campus. We go, we're saying, God, give us a divine appointment. We go ask for the principal. She's not there, but they said, but you know who you can talk to is this guy. It turns out he's the head of facilities. And he goes, he, he walks in and, and he just starts showing us everything. He's like, no, is this going to work for you? I want to make sure this is going to work for you. <laughs> like we already had a deal. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think that'll be okay. Um, yeah, now can we make sure we throw this in? You know, I'm like, what in the world? We had five great year, four great years of Horace Mann. He introduces us to the vice principal who ends up becoming the principal. By the end of the time, we have our last lunch in there and she just goes through event after event that we had had over the last four years just thanking us and publicly honoring us in front of the whole school community saying, these guys have done this, these guys have done this. It was a divine appointment that God had set up. Do you pray for divine appointments at work, men and women? I want to encourage you, pray for divine appointments. Pray in your school. God, connect me with the people that are going to open up the doors for your kingdom to come. There are divine appointments. There are people that are just going to have favor on you if you ask. If you're always, God, I just need favor. Not for my sake, but for your kingdom to advance through me. I love favor. Do you ask for favor? Ask for favor. And then I want to tell you, you're going to be, let me just, in this way, you're going to be a divine appointment for people. You wait to be a divine appointment for people. Just uh, right before Easter, we got away for a little family vacation. I'm sitting in the plane next to a guy named Manny, who's coming back from Las Vegas from the monster truck rally, right? I'm not really into monster trucks, but Manny was really nice. And I said, how was your trip? He goes, it was really good. Thank God. And I went, thank God. You must love God. I just jumped on that. He's the one who said God. Do you know God? Do you, do you know if you're going to go to heaven? I explained the gospel. He's like, that's amazing. I said, Manny, you can know if you're going to go to heaven when you die. You can know that for sure. Because he didn't know. He goes, that's incredible. You should hear Steph impersonate him. He was so amped. Uh, Manny, we can pray right now. He goes, let's do it. So right, right there... I was Manny's divine appointment. Watch out for divine appointments. Because you never know who God's going to put. You're going down with your little basket. Someone else is bathing. That's awkward. There's, <clears throat> you're you're going to be in the perfect places at times for divine appointments. And we need to keep our eyes open. And I want to tell you, you are a chosen child. The, the last verse that we're looking at says... I named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. I love that phrase, I drew him out. God is drawing many of you out to tell you, you're, you're chosen. I want you to be my friend. 
I want to call you out on a journey. There's a reason. Your life isn't just normal. It's not just humdrum. I want to take you on an adventure with me. And God's calling many of you to do that. Why don't you stand up with me? Last week, many people were committing their lives to Christ. It was awesome. They're starting a friendship with God. Today, we're going to take communion. And if you've given your life to Christ before, then this this table, the wine and the bread, is open for you. We also have grape juice. But this is open for you. And when we take communion, Jesus, on the night before he died, he broke bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Then he took the wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. That's why it's called communion. Because we're actually communing, saying, Jesus, I want you in me. I want you a part of me. I want a fellowship with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, I want to encourage you that this is for believers, but you can become a believer right now. So I want you to pray with me in this moment. If we could all bow our heads, close our eyes, and just focus on the Lord. Now, for you that are already followers of Christ, the Bible says that we need to examine our heart before we come to communion. You want to ask God, God, is there any sin in my life that I need to repent of? Is there any relationship that I need to make right? Is there any person I need to forgive? Examine your heart. For you that have not given your life to Christ yet, I want to encourage you. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. It's not by your works that you can be saved. It's by what he did through shedding his blood. He paid the penalty from your for your sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you would confess with your mouth today that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. So I want to lead you in a prayer for those who say, Robert, today I want to commit my life to Christ. I want him to come in and save me. I want to know that I know like Manny prayed on that plane that I'm going to heaven. Just pray with me if that's your heart's desire. Say, Jesus, and pray right after me if you want to give your life to Christ today. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. And I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for defeating the power of sin. Now I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Put your Holy Spirit in me and I'll follow you forever.